The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Why am I here uh, is one of the big three questions that philosophers have grappled uh, with throughout history. Not the why am I here this morning. Why am I here this morning? Not that question, but more the bigger question of uh, why are we here? Uh, People have been uh, wondering about that and wandering about throughout history trying this thing and that thing Uh, to bring some resolution to the question by process of elimination. This doesn't work, but maybe this does. Uh, What really is my purpose for being here? I think a lot of us wonder about that. Every human being at some point uh, thinks about that. And in this uh, journey that we're going through in the book of Exodus, looking at the life of Moses and of the children of Israel, uh, we see Moses who really struggled with the very same question. He didn't understand his own life purpose. He was asking the question, really, why am I here? And he asked it right up until the time that God showed up in a miraculous way and spoke to him personally at the age, listen, of 80 years old. That's when Moses finally figured it out, what his life purpose was was to be eight decades of living on the earth without figuring that out. And uh, well, I'd like to think that there are probably some people here who are struggling with their life purpose and what's life really all about and that we could maybe lock that down in the next 45 minutes and not wait till we're 80 uh, to get that figured out. Um, and I can guarantee you this, that uh, the Lord's not going to show up personally and speak to you individually. Um, Really, the only thing you're going to have to go on is me, which I know is a very poor substitute uh, for God telling him, uh, him, uh, you himself. Um, so we're going to look at God's word and try and figure that all out and see if we can't lock it down with a high level of confidence what exactly our life uh, purpose uh, really is. And I would say this, that you will be most satisfied and you will enjoy the Lord's blessing in an extraordinary way if you can get to the place where you understand what exactly his purpose is for your life. And so that's what we're going to see uh, today in Exodus 3 and 4, uh, asking the question, will you embrace God's purpose uh, for your life? Exodus 3 and 4, let's uh, pray before we begin looking at the text together. Uh, Father, really so much hand-wringing among us over this matter of life purpose, and I uh, pray only that you would bring clarity uh, to our thinking and conviction to our hearts. God, knowing that without a doubt, um, uh, you have what's best in mind for us, and you can tell us exactly what our life purpose ought to be. And Father, having heard that, I pray that we would all be so eager to act upon what we hear from your word today. So Father, thank you um, for your grace toward us and your mercy and for giving us your word. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, this is week two of our series called Bound for uh, Glory in in the book of Exodus, and this is what we're going after today. I've already said it. Embrace God's purpose. Embrace God's purpose for your life. We'll start here. Uh, Be motivated by who He is. We're going to start by reading the first few verses here of Exodus uh, chapter 3. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, we would know that as Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, the angel of the Lord, for those of you who are kind of like more into your theology, theology students, you would understand that the angel of the Lord, not an angel, not in the angel in the sense of how we use that word. Angel simply means messenger. But when you see this phrasing in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, this isn't actually an angel, but it's, it's the Lord. Okay, it's the Lord. It's what we would call a theophany or a Christophany. It's a, a pre-coming of Jesus, pre-incarnate appearance of God in the Old Testament time. That's, that's what's going on here. The Lord shows up and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, see, he doesn't know it's the Lord yet. At this point, he doesn't know. I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God identifies himself, uh, revealing himself to Moses in a pretty, a pretty spectacular way. We would all be uh, pretty um, interested in seeing what Moses saw. It was a burning bush, the bush not being consumed by the fire. It got Moses' attention in this, uh, in this I, I wonder what that's all about kind of way. Very curious about why this is happening. But when God identified himself... When Moses' life was in peril because he was getting closer and closer to this, what is in effect the emanating glory of God from the bush. Moses' life was in peril and God warns him off, telling him that the ground that he's standing on is holy ground, telling him to take off his shoes. And we read in the latter part of verse 6, Moses' response to hearing the voice of God. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, I would just say that Moses' response is a very appropriate response to coming face to face with the glory of God. That the presence of God was so real and tangible in that moment that the way Moses reacts, it's perfect. Some people try to, you know, round the edges of the fear of God. They try to soften it a little bit because what the message people want to hear today is about the love of God. People want to hear about the compassion and mercy of God. And God is love and God is merciful and God is compassionate and we get all of that. He sure is. But he's also a God to be feared in an appropriate way. So some people try to say that when we see the fear of God in the scriptures, what we're really seeing is reverence. We ought just to be in awe of God. We ought to just respect and revere him. And I get that. That's part of it. But in this case, in this moment, when it says that Moses is afraid, this isn't reverence. This is terror in the face of a holy God. Because Moses knows his own sinfulness. And he knows his life is in peril because God is holy. You know, I get when I, I mean, you don't have to look very far in the world, outside the church, outside the believing community to see that the world does not fear God. Not at all. But that's to be expected. They don't know him. 
But what concerns me is not that the world doesn't fear God. What concerns me is that too many of us in the church no longer fear God. That we've emphasized certain parts of his character over others. And God is still holy. And we're so, so still affected by sin. And the only standing we have before God is that the blood of Christ has cleansed us. God is still one to be feared in the right sense of a healthy fear of God. Moses shows us this right response. In that, that alone, this understanding who God is, as we think about what our purpose is going to be in life, this should be motivating to us. This should compel us to be on a life purpose that aligns with who God is and what his purposes are. Because... We fear him. The fear in his presence, the purpose for our existence, those, those are both rooted in who he is. And our failure to find purpose in life is because we attempt to root our purpose in who we are and not in who he is. Now, I'm speaking to Christ followers right now. So if you love Jesus, I get that we will make a proper ascent to the glory of God, that we will give a, a, a proper acknowledgement of our mission in the world. We would, we would think the right thing. We would say, give lip service to the right thing from the Scriptures. But I, I would just challenge you and ask you the question, does the evidence of your life really point to you having the purposes of God in mind and not your own. I mean, I think there's a lot of great purposes in life that people have that are good. They sound amazing. They sound noble. But they don't precisely align with the exact purposes of God or at least not the supreme purpose that God would have for us. And I wonder how many of you, if I were to press this question, what would really come out of your life is this, you know. Uh, my purpose in life really is to leave a good family legacy. I just want to have great kids and great grandkids, and I want to ha hand over to them a legacy of, of good things, and I want to leave them an inheritance. And that sounds so good, and it is good, and it is a blessing from God if you can do that, but it's not the ultimate thing. Or how many people are, are like, my, my, I just think the majority of people in life would be like this. My, my goal in life is to be happy. My purpose and what I'm trying to accomplish is just to be a happy person. Which again, I think is, I mean, I think we should all go after that, but in the good and godly way. I want to make a difference. I want to make a name for myself. I want to be rich. You say, well, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, it's not really my goal. Yeah, on Friday night, the Lotto Max uh, numbers were drawn. And, and somebody in Ontario, in fact, Brampton, I heard this morning, won, how much was it? How much was it? $60 million. Okay, so like the fact that some of you know that means you were, you were thinking about it. And more than a few of you I love the nervous laughter. It's always the best because it tips your hand, okay? So I get it. More than a few of you were thinking, what I could do is $60 million. And I get that you make it noble by saying, well, the first part, I would just give some to the church. 
I, I get that. But it betrays the fact that for some of us, the ultimate, oh, if only that could happen, is to be rich, to be successful, to retire early and see the world. Again, nothing horribly wrong with any of these, except that they're not the ultimate. They're not the big thing. They're not the thing that God would have our hearts aligned with. He has something so much better in store for us. Our failure to find our purpose in life is because we attempt to root our purpose in who we are, not who he is. So in verse 13, Moses says to God, because he wants to introduce him now to himself, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God, this is Moses speaking, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. We're, Moses is expecting a name, not a sentence, not a verb. But in place of a name, the name that God gives for himself is this verb, this state of being verb. He simply says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, the I am, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the God, the Lord, again, same, L-O-R-D, all caps in your Bible is Yahweh. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God tells Moses that his name is I am. I am who I am. And that seems strange to us, but then again... God is completely other from us. Why would he expect that he would have a name that would be like our names or anything we would come up for him? He is unique. He is other. And thus his name is other. By the way, this is the Hebrew. Just to, You've probably heard different ways of describing this, but in the Hebrew language, just to transliterate the letters into English, uh, Y. H-W-H, out of a healthy fear of him in all of the Hebrew manuscripts, you would only find the consonants and no vowels. The scribes and the teachers of Israel so revered and feared the Lord that they removed the vowels out of the word and put only the consonants in place in the manuscripts. And then when the manuscripts were actually read aloud, the Jewish people revered the name so much they would never say the name aloud. And they would come to the spot in the text where Y-H-W-H was, the four consonants for his name. And they would, they would read the name Adonai in its place. And Adonai being the Hebrew word for Lord. And so this is what is called the tetragrammaton uh, by the theologians. It's the name of God, but it's missing it's missing the vowels. Now, in kind of the Christian um, era, what we've done with that is vowels have been added in. Best, we'll just say this, best guess vowels have been added in. And so we've taken this tetragrammaton, these four consonants, and turned it into Yahweh. Turned it into Yahweh. And so that's the most common way that we would um, kind of express that when it comes up in the text. And I should mention also how does Jehovah fit into all of that and what some scribes did. And uh, certainly the King James Version, I believe, has Jehovah in it and other um, translations would have had that. 
in another era. But what they did is they took the four consonants and they lifted the vowels out of uh, Adonai for Lord and they put those vowels in place and came up with the word Jehovah. And here's what you need to know. Yahweh, the way we say it, and Jehovah, neither one of those is found precisely in the Bible. Okay, that's why, again, in your English translations, what the translators have done is just put LORD, all caps, there. Anytime you see that, you know it's the proper name for God. It's the name that, in this pinnacle moment of Scripture, it's the name that God gave to Moses for himself. And it is, I am that I am. Now, one man wrote this, and I just, again, to get at what we're talking about here, the reason why God is saying all of this is, he's just proclaiming to Moses his self-existence. Those are the two words you need to remember. God is simply telling Moses, I've just always been. Human, hum, the human race was created by God, and as individual people, we were procreated by our parents. But God had no creation. God had no beginning. He has no end. He just is. And I love what one writer said of him. Uh, this name, Yahweh, I am who I am, speaks to, listen to this now, the isness, it's up on the screen, the isness of God. And I think that just helps us because it's nice and memorable. And it makes me think of Revelation 1.8, where God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's our God. And everything that happens next from verses 15 through 22, the fulfillment of all that God intends to do with Israel is based, listen, it's based on who he is and not who Moses is. And so in essence, what we're saying is that the, he, the, the hero of the Exodus story is not Moses. Moses isn't even close to being the main character of Exodus. The main character is God. And everything that happens, happens because of him. Moses' credibility, his power, his influence all come from Yahweh. And so really at the outset of this message, trying to discover our purpose, at the outset of it, the first step of it is just acknowledging who God is and who he is to you. If your purpose for living is not rooted in the creator, then your purpose for living is deficient. If the thing that gets you up in the morning, the thing that excites you, the thing that you spend the most time on, the place where you spend the most amount of your money is not motivated by who he is, then it's deficient. And that marks your starting point. Give your life to Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, to make that decision and become a follower of Christ and say, I'm going to align my purposes with him. My life is his. I'm following him. And if you are a follower of Christ and you're seeing all kinds of distractions and you're beginning to evaluate and just go, like, I just think there's some things in my life that are about me, then it's time to return to Christ and to surrender completely and wholly to him for his purposes for you. And if you're almost there in making that decision, what might just help you make it is understanding the why. Why would I do that? What's the why? And so I look at this next. I'll be aware of why he's called you. We skip some verses there, verse 7. 
Uh, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Moses gets a call that is super specific to him, but with principles that are really going to help us to understand what our purpose is. The reality is that, um, that none of us here, I can say with, I think, some degree of confidence, that none of us here are going to get a Moses-level call. That, that what Moses was called to do, would you agree with me, it's kind of a one-off thing. Take a whole people, uh, hundreds of thousands of them that are living in another country that are my chosen people, and we're going to move them out of there and move them into their own promised land, and along the way you're going to teach them how to worship and how to be the people of God. Uh, would you agree with me that's unique? That's a unique calling. But, but, but it was a specific calling for Moses, and that's the principle. What's the specific calling that God has on your life? And I love that the principle, I love that the call from God that he's giving here is for Moses to meet both the practical needs of the people and also the spiritual needs. That twofold mission and purpose that Moses had. On the one hand, the people are in slavery and need to be relieved of their slavery. That's the ground level. I'm hurting now. I'm hurting physically. I'm hurting mentally. I'm hurting emotionally. It's really hard on me. I have some practical needs that need to be met. But on the other side, I'm preaching a word, meeting the spiritual needs, helping them become the people of God, learning how to worship and give their life for Him and see that uh, their ultimate hope is not rooted in anything on this earth, but well beyond this life. So it's always both of those things. It's the preaching of the gospel and it's the, it's the meeting of specific uh, compassionate needs that people have. And we, again, fail as Christ followers if we miss this that it has to be both of these. Why has God called you? Because people are hurting physically, emotionally, mentally, because people are hurting spiritually and need to hear about Jesus. It's both of those. I jotted down a couple of references that might be helpful. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says this, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Curse be upon me if I do not preach the gospel. And I would hope that all of us would be fired up in the same way that we have to preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus Christ, of his death, of his resurrection to new life, that they can have new life and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, that their hope can be beyond this life to an eternity with Christ. That's the gospel. But then also this practical, I love James 1.27, where James writes, pure and undefiled religion before God and man is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Look for people on the margins. Look for people who are hurting. Look for people who can't help themselves. Very, very practical needs and go and meet those needs. And listen, the Christian life, the purpose that God lays out before Moses and the purpose that God lays out before us is exactly the same. Help people with those practical, uh, mercy-type, compassion needs and preach the gospel. We need to be about both of those things. And however that plays out specifically for you in terms of your gifts and talents and abilities, these are the things that I'm good at. 
the passions that God has put on your heart, the people I want to work with is this people group, or I really like kids, or I like working with teens, or I'm really into uh, more adult groups, and, and whatever passion God has put on your heart, I'm more into practical helps and hands-on serving, whatever the passion is. The experiences that God has given to you, this is where I've been before, and I know what I'm good at, and, and it's going to be specific for you. You just need before the Lord to be determining what exactly that is. How this all kind of comes together to this point, I love what Kyle and Delich have said about this. Follow along as I read this. The fear of the Lord which springs from the knowledge of one's own holiness in the presence of a holy God. That's Moses in front of the burning bush. Think of it for yourself ought to form the one leading emotion in the heart, prompting us to walk in all the ways of the Lord. In other words, I'm going to walk in holiness and righteousness, to maintain morality of conduct in its strictest form. This fear, which first enables us to comprehend the mercy of God in our own lives, awakens love, the fruit of which is manifested, listen now, in serving God with all the heart and all the soul. It's going to compel us, this fear of God, pushing us toward the service of others to the benefit of the people that he wishes to rescue in the preaching of the gospel and in compassion ministries that we would carry on. So what specifically has he called you to do? You can have certainty about what he wants you to do. I would plead with you to be certain of what you're to do. For Moses, it was pretty simple. Verse, verse 10, uh, God says to him, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. How many people would agree? Completely clear. I get it. You're going to leave Midian. You're going to go to Pharaoh's palace. You're going to tell him, I'm here to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. That's the mission. That's his life a purpose. It's super, super clear. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you, that when you have brought the people of, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He's going to bring them back to Horeb, back to Sinai. That's going to be the sign that you did it right. And I'm going to be with you um, every uh, step of the way. He was to be the one to relieve the people of Israel of their slavery. That's, that's not insignificant. Again, this is the one-of-a-kind call, and Moses knew what he had to do. But as a Christ follower, do you know what you have to do? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? This struck me, I think, for the first time. I was a young pastor. I went to a conference. Cheryl and I went to a conference in Chicago. So before we planted the church here, year 2000, 15 years ago, um, Willow Creek Community Church, many of you know that, Bill Hybels, really the leaders in the whole seeker movement. And we were looking at that back in the day. And we went to a conference. And, and in the course of got 5,000 people there, in the course of the conference, I went to the restrooms. And I, there was a gentleman in, in there, a volunteer uh, from the church, and he was cleaning counters. And I, I got into conversation with him, and I asked him the question. I said, um, so how did you come to do this? Are you on staff here? Well, he said, no, 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 I have a job. He said, but I took vacation days to come in and clean, to clean washrooms during the conference. 5,000 people there, the washrooms needed constant cleaning. 
So here I have this guy, he took vacation from his job. And his vacation is spent in the restrooms. I said to him, why, why would you do that? And he said, well, I'm, I'm helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm thinking, you're, you're wiping pee from urinals, man. You're, I mean, but he had it. He had it. He understood it. That it doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're serving the Lord, if you're facilitating the mission, if you're doing something, serving in some way to help people become devoted followers of Christ, then you are on mission. You understand your life's purpose. He understood with clarity that what he was doing was not cleaning restrooms. He understood with great clarity that he was making disciples. Now I think about all the different uh, ways that people serve here. And yesterday afternoon, two o'clock, we get uh, the building and in comes our tabernacle team and they're going to set things up again for this weekend. They come in here and they're rolling out carpet and they're setting up chairs and they're running wires and they're hanging signs all over the building and they're running all of our mobile storage cabinets out into the various places where they'll be unpacked and the tabernacle team does all of that work. But listen, I just need you all to understand if you're on that team or if you're watching that team or you know about that team, they're not putting out chairs, they're not rolling out carpet, they're not running wires. They're making disciples. That the people who are in the parking lot uh, before services and helping people coming in and waving to them, they're not just being friendly, they're making disciples. That the people who are down the hall helping kids color pages and cut papers and, and telling stories and leading worship, the folks who are on our worship team this morning, the folks who made coffee, the folks who are greeting you at the doors and helping you find a seat, they're not just being friendly, they're not just leading worship, they're not just making coffee. They're making disciples. The way we stay here at Harvest is that, that our, our purpose as a church is to glorify God through the making of disciples, through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so every single role, no matter how tedious, how, how small we might think it is, no matter how behind the scenes and obscure it is, every role, every serving role, everything that everybody's doing is helping to fulfill the purpose that we're helping people become followers of Jesus Christ in every way. Every role is a fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19 to make disciples, to tell people about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, to give them hope for new life through the resurrection. Every serving role at harvest has the same objective. So be certain of it. Whatever you do, be certain of it. Be certain of the reason why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing. And do it with all of your might and do it to the glory of God. Amen? Like so many of us, even if you get to this point, though, we can have so many excuses in our life for why that's not going to work. Why that's not going to happen for us. And it isn't like in the text here as we keep reading, it isn't like Moses was eager to get at it. We really need to be done with the excuses. And Moses needed to be done with the excuses that were going to keep him from embracing God's purpose for his life. The excuses for Moses actually had started back in verse 11. 
But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? It's, it's actually kind of astounding that he would object at this point. We might be scratching our heads a little bit because if it were us out there on the mountainside taking care of sheep and God showed up and there was a bush that was burning but it wasn't and we heard the voice of God, it was obvious it was the voice of God and God spoke to us and told us what we were supposed to do. I mean, how many of us in this room would think, I would just do it? But we think so. We think we would. And yet here's Moses. Who am I to go? Who am I to go? I mean, and that, the thing is, it's not even just like the only excuse. And it's not one that's flowing out of humility. Oh, God, I, it's like, no, it's, it's a false humility. It's not that. He thinks he's not qualified. Who am I that, that I should go to Pharaoh? Then Moses says, now chapter 4, of verse 1, Moses answered, but, but behold, they, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Fair enough. I mean, it's really just going to be his word against theirs. He's going to go to them. He's going to say, oh, the Lord sent me to you. Oh, yeah, prove it. Did you record this on your iPhone? Show me. Right? He's got no iPhone footage. Are there any witnesses around? Just the sheep. They're not talking. So he's got no witnesses, just his word. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? So now what the Lord is going to do, to be so patient with his objections, the Lord's going to address each of these. And so he says to Moses, I got this staff here. Remember, Moses was a shepherd. He's out. So he's got this staff with him. And the Lord says to him, what's that you have in your hand? He says, well, it's a, it's a staff. He says, throw it down on the ground. You remember what happened when he threw it down on the ground, right? What happened? Yeah, it became a snake, right? It became a serpent. And so what the Lord is going to do is he's going to give him some signs that he's going to be able to take with him that are going to help him to authenticate the message. So Moses does what the Lord says. He throws it down on the ground and he pulls up and it becomes a snake, right? (laughs) And then the Lord just simply said, throw it back down on the ground and he picked it up and it was a staff again. That's just one of three signs that he gave to him. Uh, The other one uh, being... um, a sign of leprosy, that he would just put his hand in his cloak and it would become leprous and he would take it out and put it back in and it would clear up and, and, and then take water from the Nile and pour it out and it would become blood. And it was all three of these signs God gave to Moses to kind of overcome these objections, God meeting every one of the excuses that Moses had. Finally, in verse uh, 13, it kind of all comes to a head here. He says he's not eloquent, verse 13. He says, but he said, oh, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You, you get the idea here that God's ready to open up the ground to swallow him whole and start fresh with somebody else. Fire from heaven's gonna come down and just consume him in a second. But God again demonstrates his great patience with Moses and appoints Aaron to be the spokesman to overcome. The thing with Moses' eloquence thing and his excuses, it's not like the Lord ever denied it. It's not like God said to him, hey, Moses, no, no, you're actually a really good speaker. I think people are really going to buy what you say. I think you articulate yourself really clearly. It's funny that I stumbled over that word, right? So, <laughs> No, the Lord doesn't deny it. I mean, there was something about Moses' communication skills that weren't great, that he did stumble over his words, or he did have a stutter, or he was just so quiet when he 
talking dogs and no one ever heard them. Or I don't know what it was, but, but God said, I'm, I'm going to be with you. So that can be overcome. But Moses has excuse after excuse. And so the Lord appoints Aaron, his brother, to be the actual spokesman. Now, all of this to say, Moses is a reluctant servant. Would you agree? He's a reluctant servant of God, and his excuses can be summarized as, I'm not qualified, I'm not credible, I'm not articulate. Those are his excuses. What are yours? I thought this might be helpful to us. Um, Top 10 excuses for not serving God. Ready for these? I'm going to give them anyway, but why don't you just answer me? Ready for these? All right, that's great. Top 10 excuses for not serving God. Number 17. I'm not spiritual enough. I'd feel like a hypocrite. Uh, what I would say to that is, and we are going to address this matter of holiness in a few moments, but um, no one is spiritual enough. And in one respect or another, we're all hypocrites. Uh, but you need to get over that and recognize that, again, God's not looking for perfection. But he is looking for obedience. Number 16, I'm, I'm just at this stage of life. I'm too young. I'm too old. Um, I'm in college right now, and my life is just going in a lot of directions. Uh, well, we just started a family. We have kids. Our kids are in school. They're busy. There's soccer. There's hockey. There's all of this. Um, or I'm retired. I've done my time. We're just looking for a little time for ourselves now. And see, the fact of the matter is I see no stage of life um, exemptions in the Bible. How old was Moses again? Uh, 80. Uh, Lord, I'm retired. I just take care of these sheep on the side. Number 15, no one asked me. Well, if no one asked you, you haven't been coming to harvest very long because you will be asked here. And um, if no one's ever asked you, there will be some staff members up at the front at the end of the service who'd be happy to ask you. So just make yourself available. Number 14, I'm not a member of the church, so I don't feel the responsibility. Well, A, not every serving role is in the church. Secondly, not every serving role um, requires membership in the church. And, um, and then I would just say become a member anyway. And we'll solve that problem straight up. Number 13, I give an offering. Isn't that enough? No. <laughs> Number 12, I don't get anything out of it. Well, that's sad. I'm sorry that you don't, but it's really not about you. Number 11, I'm afraid of the responsibility. Well, we know in the scriptures that perfect love casts out fear, correct? Perfect love casts out fear. So let me tell you, I love you, and God loves you. Now take up the responsibility, because I just cast out the fear, all right? Number 10, I'm too busy, just not enough time for everything, yeah, you're probably too busy, so drop something else and serve Jesus. Rebudget your time, reallocate it, make it work. Number nine, I'm not trained, equipped, or qualified. Oh, we train, equip, and qualify, curiously. Number eight, I've been hurt. I've had a bad experience before. You and everyone else. Number seven, no one appreciates, acknowledges what I do or says thanks. I love that verse in the scripture that says, we are your humble servants. We have only done that which we ought to have done. No one needs a thank you, except Jesus. Let's just say thank him for what he's done for us. And 
the rest of us can just serve out of gratitude for that. Number six, I'm burned out, worn out, stressed out. I take a rest, get a drink of water, and get back in the game. Fact of the matter is we're all tired. Everyone's tired. Number five, no one would use a person like me. Uh, we're all people like you. Number four, the expectations are too high. Uh, your expectations are too low. <laughs> Number three, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to serve. We'll help you. Number two, I've got too much hurt in my life. Well, you know what? And if it is a tough time in your life right now, I get it. But you, I would just say this, that serving other people is healing in its own way. And number one, I'm not sure what my gifts are. Well, try something. If you're no good at it, that's not your gift. Try something else. <laughs> You'll figure it out. The reality is, of these 17, um, there are no, no good excuses here. None. And please understand, especially if you're new to Harvest, I'm not preaching this because, oh yeah, we went to church today and the pastor preached this message and he's really just trying to staff up all the ministries and obviously they need a lot of volunteers to step up. And the, the reality is that's not the case. Our serving teams are all in a really great place. There's a few needs here and there for sure. There's always a gap or two that we could fill. We have the small group leaders that we need. We have apprentices coming online Harvest Kids has lots of volunteers. The reality is that in our church, seven out of 10 uh, people that are here on, on uh, the weekend services, seven out of 10 of them have a place of service. There's no really great big need right now, so I'm not preaching it for the benefit of staffing. I'm not trying to coerce you or guilt you into serving. The reality is I want this for you because there's blessing attached to it. I want this for you because the scriptures say this is your purpose in life is to serve. I want this for you because as we've defined what a disciple of Christ is, one who worships Christ and walks with Christ and works for Christ, if you're not working for Christ, if you're not fulfilling your purpose, then you're missing out on a full third of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so we need to get on to this and work for him because blessing Blessing follows obedience in this and everything. Well, eventually Moses is done with the excuses himself and declares his intention to go. Look at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Now that might have been one of Moses' big objections in terms of qualification, was because he was a murderer, because he was a fugitive from the law. He's probably thinking, no one's going to believe me because, by the way, I'm a criminal. So God assures him here, everybody that wanted you dead, everybody who remembers that episode when you killed that Egyptian, all gone. Statute of limitations has run out. You're good and clear. All right, verse 20. So Moses took his wife, his sons, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now, here's what's going on here, because Moses himself is done with the excuses, but there's one little problem that God still needs to deal with. He's prepared to go, but there's a part of him that's still not ready, and he doesn't even really know about it. We can't go off serving him and not have a heart that's aligned with his heart in holiness. So they stop for the night, and I'm going to tell you that verses 24 through 26 
probably, probably the most bizarre incident in the book of Exodus, and certainly up there in terms of most bizarre incidents in the entire Bible. So at a lodging place, they're on their way, Moses, his wife, at least one of their kids, they're on their way to Egypt, and at a lodging place, they stop for the night on the way, verse 24, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. How many people write in their Bibles? You write in your Bibles little notes and things. Yeah, I write in my Bible too, and beside this verse I put, huh? <laughs> he, he just called him. He just dealt with all the objections. and ex- He just got him to a good place. He's, he's on his way. And now God's trying to kill him. So I go, okay, well, verse 25 is going to bring some clarity. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Clearer? Did did that bring clarity to anyone? Verse 26, so he let him alone. God stopped killing him. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What is going on here? Is anybody else wondering? So let me give it to you in a little bit framed up in a way I think we'll get it here. So they stop for the night, and God afflicts, as they're sleeping, or getting ready for bed, God afflicts Moses with some kind of life-threatening condition of some kind. We don't know what it is. Is he having a stroke? Is he seizuring? Something's happening, but it's, it's pretty obvious to Zipporah, his wife, as she observes the whole situation, several things are true. One, her husband's in trouble, and he's dying. Two, she manages to understand that God's the one doing it, and no one else. And three, she figures out sometime between verse 24 and 25, she figures out why God is doing it. We're not just given every detail here, but she figures out the why. And her solution to the why is, I need to circumcise our son, which to us seems bizarre. But it's not. And after she circumcised her son, she takes the the bloody foreskin and she goes over to Moses and she touches his feet with it because he was the one who was supposed to have circumcised his son. And by touching him, she's kind of making it as if he had done it and getting him covered uh, by the Lord in obedience for having fulfilled that sign of the covenant. And Zipporah just says at the end, she's just happy to have her husband back. God relents, verse 26 says, and ceases from his intention to kill Moses. For whatever reason, the story is here for this reason, for whatever reason, Moses had neglected to fulfill the most basic aspect of the covenant arrangement between God and the children of Israel. When God had met with Abraham, he set this up. Circumcision is to be the sign. Circumcise your sons. That's the sign of the covenant. Moses, why didn't you do that? And you're on your way to perform this great mission for me. And in this most basic act of obedience, you've not listened to me. That's what's going on. And Zipporah essentially saves her husband by fulfilling the sign of the covenant and circumcising their son. And willful disobedience to a clear command of the Lord is intolerable to the Lord. We can't take this lightly. God's not looking for perfection from us. But he is certainly looking for obedience. 
So how's that going for you? I mean, if we only think of the signs of the covenant that God has given to us, are you living in obedience to the Lord with regard to those two signs? Say, what are those? Well, for the New Testament church, what has been inaugurated for us in terms of signs of the covenant, we would call them ordinances, what God has ordained for us uh, to uh, fulfill. Ordinance number one would be uh, the rite of baptism and have you been baptized as a testimony of your faith, a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. The model that we would see so clearly in the New Testament would be that a person uh, publicly professes their faith and then subsequent to that is baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And have you done that? That baptism is a sign of the covenant. And are you living in obedience to that so simple? We're going to be baptizing people in a couple of weeks, and, and it's so simple that we would just obey him in that and have his blessing as a result. And then the second sign of the covenant we're going to celebrate in a few moments is the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion, whatever you want to call it. That we would come together on a regular basis to remember the Lord's death until he comes that we would take the bread and the cup and we would sober-mindedly consider the death of Christ for us. Not come just as a matter of ritual. I have to do this. It's not just a religious rite. It's a statement of our covenant relationship with our God. Now for Moses, it was so critical that he obeyed the sign of the covenant, and he hadn't, that his life was in peril. And some of us would be quick to say, well, you know, that was Old Testament. That's the way God dealt with people then. That's not really a New Testament thing. And you would be wrong, by the way, if you said that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there was all kinds of abuses of the Lord's table in the church at Corinth. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He wrote to them and he said to them, you're taking the table in an unworthy manner. And when you come together, you ought to be carefully examining your life. They hadn't really been doing that. And he said, that's why some of you are sick. That's why some of you even died. Because they weren't following the signs of the covenant. It is a critical thing. We need to think carefully about our own obedience performing both of these. And if all of this is true for you, everything we've been saying here today, and I realize that's kind of a heavy, heavy note to end on, but our obedience is so critical. But if we would get all of this and be on God's purpose for our life, understanding that and living that out, then check this out. Be ready for God to work. Be ready for great things to happen. In verses 27 through 30, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, met him at the mountain of God, kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Notice, and the people, response number one, they believed it. Do you believe it? And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, have you heard what God is saying today? And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads. Have you humbly come to the Lord and worshiped him? This is such a good moment for Israel. And I know there's a lot coming up that's not great for them, but this is a good moment when they realized that their God was intent on rescuing them. 
and had sent Moses to do that. And again, it was only the beginning. They were aligning themselves with the purposes of God. I was struck this week by what Tim Keller said. God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission, and the church must join him. God's already at work. God's already doing great things. And the invitation to us as the church, or we could personalize this and say, God does not merely send a Christ follower in mission. God already is in mission, and the Christ follower must join him. We as a church must join what God is doing. You, as an individual follower of Christ, must join God in what he's doing on mission. That's our life purpose. The series is called Bound for Glory. We're headed to something awesome. We're all on a journey together. And the purpose of God is for us to walk in holiness along that journey and all the way inviting others to come. We're bound for glory. Don't you want to come? We're going to see Jesus. We're on our way to the promised land. Come and join us. That's, that's our life purpose. That's what God would have us be about. And so embrace, embrace in every way God's purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to have a time in the Lord's, around the Lord's table right now. I'm going to invite you to be part of that if you're a follower of Christ. And insofar as it's been possible with you, you're living at peace with others and are aligned with the Lord's will for your life. I'm going to invite you to be a part of that. Our servers are going to come forward right now and uh, prepare to uh, serve the table to you. And uh, why don't you just uh, uh, set aside your things and bow your head with me for a moment while I uh, pray uh, for us. Father, thank you for this uh, time of memorial that we can have right now, a sign of the covenant that you have given to us that really God has designed uh, not only to have us remember the sacrifice of Christ, but also to knit our hearts together around that as the church. And so we're grateful for, for uh, the remembrance and we're grateful that we can do it together. So God, I pray that you would bless this time with the very presence of your Holy Spirit and be solidifying uh, the words that we've heard today. Father, make us willing by your Spirit to obey you in all of these things and then to receive the blessing you have for us. Father, these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.